Welcome Community Radio in the heart of Shakespeare country. For the community, by the community, in the community. Nice. Hi, Danny Mazevich here with another Vocable Hour. And what a pleasure it is to be able to talk to you and to share with you some exquisite words about love. The last program I did was about love and really, of course, you could do a hundred programmes, couldn't you, and still not fathom that most exquisite and yet painful uh, emotion that human beings experience, perhaps other animals do. But of course, in this hour, we're focusing on the human experience so far as we can. I was listening the other day to a number of Buddhist uh, teachers talking about love. And one of them was saying how he found the whole concept to be very circular. And I thought, now, what does he mean by that? And what he meant was that when people say that they love someone or something, it's very indefined. Not ill-defined necessarily, but indefined. So what I want to explore with you, dear listener, during this hour is can we get closer to a definition? That's the first thing. And secondly, do we need to get to a definition? And let me set my stall out straight away and then we'll have a bit of Enya and then we'll go into our first poems. So here's my thought and it may change, dear listener, and perhaps yours may as we hear the words of poets who are so much more articulate and so much more nuanced in their experience and expression of this human emotion than I am. Going back to the Buddhist teachings for a moment, if I may. During this conversation, one of the other Buddhist monks uh, had these beautiful words to share that I, uh, I have shared with you and not on a number of occasions during this program. And he says what the Buddha taught was that love had four parts. And those parts were, first of all, you had to try and understand the other person. Secondly, that you should feel compassion for them and want to bring happiness and want to ease suffering. And thirdly, that you should have the capacity to ease that suffering, to bring happiness. And fourthly, that love should be non-clinging, without cloying attachment. Healthy attachment, absolutely fine, but the kind of cloying attachment that brings unhappiness and unrequited longing and so on. Although there are poets who've written very movingly about unrequited love, and indeed some who say that it is more powerful than the, the experience itself. I personally find those four definitions, those beautiful words, those beautiful words from the Buddhist tradition to be terribly helpful. But it still doesn't capture it, does it? Still doesn't quite capture that experience that so many of us feel, certainly in romantic love, more of that in a moment. And let's set the mood with a beautiful song by Enya. to 
voice and that sound are just sublime are they not dear listener and you're there setting the mood for a um what we hope will be words of tranquility but also words of challenge and let's begin straight away with an elizabeth barrett browning sonnet um from the age one might say of uh, victorian romance but of course elizabeth barrett browning had a very interesting take on what she felt love to be in her poem most one of her most famous poems on this subject is, is, of course, How Do I Love Thee? So let's hear it. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being and ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need, by sun and by candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with the passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with a love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. Now I want to start with that. Because there is a, you know, beautiful decorousness about the writing of that, isn't there? Not a definition, but perhaps itself an experience of what love is, I wonder, dear listener. What do you think? Well, now, I thought as an absolutely beautiful contrast to that, we could go to Spain. to Lorca's astonishing poem, which is um, performed as a play, uh, Blood Wedding. Now, the essence of Blood Wedding is that there is a an arranged marriage. And, of course, uh, for the conflict to be theatrical, this arranged marriage does not go well. And the bride has a lover. And this beautiful beautiful piece is uh, when she meets her lover called Leonardo 
and she meets him in this forest near the village where the action takes place and above it flies the most amazing um, character above this forest called the moon <laughs> and Lorca gives the moon a whole character and a whole backstory and history and resonance and she sings a little later in the play about what she's witnessing beneath beneath her at the blood wedding and so here we are where the bride has been told she's going to get married and she leaves her house and meets in secret her lover Leonardo and they're walking together so that's the setup and here's some of the most astonishingly um, painful but also passionate poetic language hope you enjoy it dear listener here it comes Leonardo hush bride I'll go on alone from here go back I want you to go hush I said the bride with your teeth with your hands if you can cut from my honest neck the chain that you've set there leave me forgotten in my house of earth and if you won't kill me like a nascent viper place in the bride's hands the stock of your rifle oh what grief what fire runs through my head what glass cuts up my tongue leonardo there's no going back hush because they're encircling us and i must take you with me the bride then it will be by force leonardo by force who was it then first slipped down the stairs into my arms i did says the bride leonardo who put a fresh bridle on the horse the bride i did it's true leonardo and whose hands fastened my spurs bride these hands which are yours and which if they could would quell the blue branches and stir of your veins i love you i love you go for if i could only kill you i'd wrap you in a shroud with violet fringes Oh, what grief! What fire runs through my head! Leonardo, what glass cuts up my tongue because I wished to forget and build a wall out of stone between your house and mine? It's true, don't you remember? And when I saw you afar, I threw sand in my eyes. But then I climbed on my horse and the horse came to your door. And with the silver pins of your veil, my blood turned to darkness and dreams. They filled my flesh with the rank odour of weeds, but the guilt of it isn't mine. The guilt belongs to the earth. It is the perfume that rises. And the bride says, Oh, madness i wish neither bed nor board from you yet there's no hour of the day that i don't long to see you for you draw me and i go and you tell me to return and i follow you through the air like a straw lost in the wind i left a fine man behind and all his family there in the midst of the wedding, dressed in my wreath of flowers. But you'll suffer for it, and I don't want you to leave me. Go far away. There's none here to defend you. Leonardo, the birds of the morning are stirring in the trees. The night itself is dying in a hard edge of stone. Let's find some dark corner where I can always love you, where people will not matter, 
nor the venom they engender. And they embrace, and the bride says, And I'll sleep at your feet to watch over your dreams. Naked, I'll lie on the ground. I see you, and your beauty makes me burn. There is more, but I would be spoiling it to read to the end of that exchange. I uh, confess, dear listener, I don't know, in all of literature, Shakespeare included uh, an exchange between lovers, which is quite so beautifully tortured as that. Now, let's change the mood again somewhat, shall we? And let's have some Aretha Franklin and lift our hearts in defiance. CT, and then we all want a bit of that, and that really is the heart of what I'm trying to share with you. I think, dear listener, this respect and this and this devotion to one another that one feels in love, and um, and I think I'm focusing on romantic love here more than anything else, because that's that's I think the harder to pin down and to be successful with. Why do I want to pin it down? Dear listener, it's not that I think that a definition will make our lives suddenly somewhat easier, but I do think, do you not, that there are so often times in human relationships where people, as it were, declare love for one another, and it's not sure what is meant, and actually what's received can be sometimes something of a burden of expectation. It is, I think, perhaps much better expressed in ways that we can't define. I wonder if that's true. Perhaps that's the next step on this pilgrimage of a programme that I'm trying to, to put together for you. So shall we go back to Spain and to Pablo Neruda, one of the most famous uh, poets of love, and another one who also captures not what uh, one might call uh, forgive the disparaging tone of the, this 
that I'm about to use, the a hallmark, you know, a hallmark card. Other cards are available. Definition of what love is, you know, roses are red, violets are blue, etc., etc. Naruda concentrates on the moments between people when they find themselves in the state of abandoned romantic love one for another. That somehow, I think, goes beyond, even beyond the four uh, definitions of love that, um, that I shared with you earlier. I wonder. I've no idea whether I'm right about this or anything else, frankly. And this is a beautiful poem about hands. And here it is. It's called Your Hands. Pablo Neruda. When your hands leap toward mine, love, what do they bring me in flight? Why did they stop at my lips so suddenly? Why do I know them as if once before I have touched them? As if being before they travelled to my forehead and my waist. Their smoothness came winging through time over the sea and the smoke, over the spring, and when you laid your hands on my chest, I knew those wings of the gold doves. I knew that clay and that colour of grain. The years of my life have been roadways of searching, a climbing of stairs, a crossing of reefs. Trains hurled me onwards, waters recalled me on the surface of grapes. It seemed that I touched you. Wood of a sudden made contact with you. The almond tree summoned your hidden smoothness until both your hands closed on my chest like a pair of wings ending their flight. Oh, I don't know. I don't know, dear listener. This program is an absolute joy to do. It really is. What pleasure it is to walk through the doors of a poem like that and try to live it for you. The human ability to connect words in ways that not only mirror the experience that's been written about, but somehow become the experience that's been written about. Now, I think that, dear listener, is an important step on this pilgrimage. Now, let's go back, by contrast, to even earlier than Elizabeth Barrett Browning, uh, I won't do the whole of this poem. You'll be uh, perhaps pleased to know. Uh, let me. Do, I wanted to do enough that perhaps may uh, invite you to, to to have a look at a little more of it. But time doesn't allow me to do the whole of this poem. Uh, let's see how far we get, and then we'll have another tune. We'll have another tune, and we'll go. We'll go, we'll go into a beautiful, beautiful, murky world of jazz with uh, Robbie Coltrane in a moment. So, here's Coleridge writing about love. All thoughts, all passions, all delights, whatever stirs this mortal frame are but the ministers of love, and feed his sacred flame. Oft in my waking dreams do I live o'er again that happy hour when midway on the mount I lay beside the ruined tower. The moonshine stealing over the scene had blended with the lights of Eve, and there she was. My hope, my joy, my own dear Genevieve. She leaned against the armed man, the statue of the armed knight. She stood and listened to my lay amid the lingering light. Few sorrows had she of her own, my hope, my love, my joy, my Genevieve. 
she loves me best whene'er I sing the songs that make her grieve. I played a soft and doleful air, I sang an old and moving story, an old rude song that suited well that ruin, wild and hoary, and she listened. With a flitting blush, with downcast eyes and modest grace, for well she knew I could not choose but gaze upon her face. I told her of the knight that wore upon his shield a burning brand, and that for ten long years he wooed the lady of the land. I told her how he pined, and oh, the deep, the low, the pleading tone from which he sang another's love interpreted my own. And she listened with a flitting blush, with downcast eyes and modest grace, and she forgave me that I gazed too fondly on her face. <sighs> but when I told the cruel scorn that grazed that bold and lovely night, and he that crossed the mountain woods nor rested day nor night, that sometimes from the savage den and sometimes from the darksome shade, and sometimes staring up at once in green and sunny glade, there came and looked him in the face an angel, beautiful and bright and that he knew it was a friend this miserable night. And then unknowing what he did, he leaped amid a murderous band and saved from outrage worse than death the lady of the land. I'm going to finish that there, at that tantalising cliffhanger. Did he win, Genevieve? Well, those of you who know the poem will know what I'm no shan't. I wouldn't be so cruel as to give it away. But he tells a number of stories poetically in, in an attempt to win her over. Now, isn't that interesting? To win her over. Now, I didn't. I, those are my words. Those are my words. But that poem, as gorgeous as it is, doesn't that illustrate another different side of this process? This or this, what one might call chivalric love you know because it's from those days it's kind of it's a he's 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 referencing the king arthur myths oh. and it's a very common phrase wasn't it certainly when i was growing up that you that one would win one's bride <laughs> quite different to the locker i think you'll agree well dear listener let's let's have a change of mood again and then oh i have such beautiful gorgeous words to share with you next and uh, but before we get there let's have a new mood from the mercurial Robbie Coltrane Thank you. 
train with those discordant notes that oh, maybe one or two of us have felt when um, unrequited love strikes strikes our strikes our days or enters our days perhaps I should say I'm a real fan of Pablo Neruda because I think he does capture these so let's go forward and once again to Spain uh, I make no apologies for um, for uh, offering him to you as an experience and it is an experience I think do think that this is something that poetry uh, can do it can be the experience that it describes because the emotions are evoked and in this poem tonight I can write the saddest lines he says this tonight I can write the saddest lines Write, for example, the night is shattered and the blue stars shiver in the distance. The night wind revolves in the sky and sings. Tonight I can write the saddest lines. I loved her. And sometimes she loved me too. Through nights like this one I held her in my arms I kissed her again and again under the endless sky And she loved me sometimes And I loved her too How could one not have loved her great still eyes I'm so glad that, and I have to say this was something of an accident, that this poem came after the Robbie Coltrane piece. The music does the same thing, doesn't it, dear listener? It not only, it doesn't decorate, it becomes the thing about which it is playing. So in this poem too, how were you not, dear listener, taken as I was to that very moment, and we were in that very moment with the poet, as loss is recovered and is captured and is made rich. Does that make sense, dear listener, I wonder? Where loss is made rich. People say, don't they, that that pain is the greater teacher than happiness. And while I think that sounds bleak, I don't think it is. She's why so many of so many love poems, aren't they? So many romantic love poems are are of the sort I've just read, but few seems to me can capture quite the poignancy that that um, that that reaches. And now, by contrast, here's uh, celebratory Pablo Neruda. Every day you play. You are here. Oh, do not run away. You will answer me to the last cry. Curl round me as though you were frightened. Even so, a strange shadow once ran through your eyes. And now, too, you bring me honeysuckle. And while the sad wind goes slaughtering butterflies, I love you. And my happiness bites the plum of your mouth. How you must have suffered getting accustomed to me, my savage, solitary soul, my name that sends them all running. So many times we've seen the morning star burn, kissing our eyes. And over our eyes, the grey light unwinds in turning fans. And my words rained over you. Stroking you. A long time I have loved the sunned mother of pearl of your body. Until I even believe that you own the universe. I'll bring you happy flowers from the mountains. Bluebells. Dark hazels. 
and rustic baskets of kisses. I want to do with you what spring does with the cherry trees. Oh, that is the experience, isn't it? May not be one's own personal experience necessarily, but the fact that we're that I'm brought so accurately, it feels to me, into this moment of vulnerable opening to another. I love you and my happiness bites the plum of your mouth. <laughs> my goodness. That's the only problem with doing this programme is that really, you know, when I've read these poems, I was just saying to Peter, I feel the need for a silence after them, which I hope you don't um, find irritating, dear listener, but um, seems respectful to me. But sometimes I forget that I have just read a poem and in the silence, I think, oh, I better come back to myself. <laughs> now, let's go to Ireland. And uh, William Butler Yeats. Oh, what richness I, I'm being privileged to share with you, dear listener, today. What richness. This is a very famous poem. Very famous. <laughs> if I make it through without weeping, I should be very lucky. <laughs> it's called When You Are Old. Yes, dear listener, it is that one, when you are old. When you're old and grey, and full of sleep, and nodding by the fire, take down this book, and slowly read and dream of the soft look your eyes had once, and of their shadows deep. How many... Loved your moments of glad grace And loved your beauty with love false or true But one man loved the pilgrim soul in you And loved the sorrows of your changing face And bending down beside the glowing bars Murmur a little sadly How love fled and paced upon the mountains overhead and hid his face amid a crowd of stars. Wow. Let's use poetry to change the mood before we have, I think, our final piece of music, which we'll have after this piece here. This uh, now, I wonder, dear listener, if you can guess what I'm going to read now. What would be the most famous love poem in all of the canon, as it were? Uh, and uh, yes, uh, uh, it is um, uh, Sonnet 66. Shakespeare, of course. I bet you've done the first line before I've even read it. <laughs> Let me not, to the marriage of true minds, admit impediments. Love is not love, which alters when it alteration finds, or bends with the remover to remove. Oh no, it is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark whose worth's unknown, although his height be taken, loves not time's fool, though rosy lips and cheeks within his bending sickle's compass come. Love alters not with his brief hours and weeks, but bears it out even to the edge of doom. If this be error, and upon me proved, I never writ, nor no man ever loved. Baby, it's really amazing what I go through without you. You know, sometimes I find myself counting, counting the hours. 
the minutes, the seconds, the moments. Darling, please, don't make me wait too long. I want to learn today. Can't you see? If only you I want, and you I need. Please, don't make me wait too long. I want to learn today. have a love program without the doctor of love himself dr barry white (laughs) there's a place for it all isn't there there's a place for it all and i'm not trying to be disparaging of any particular take on this most elusive and most painful of uh, experiences most and most delicious of experiences too and uh and here's a description of that of that Beautiful. Let me introduce another couple of words here in this pilgrimage of love that we are uh, we are exploring today. And uh, I think I am learning something as I read these poems that 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 what poetry attempts to do is not to define, not to capture, not to confine, but to ex- itself to experience the emotion. That's that's what it can do, isn't it? You know. That's what it can do whenever I personally am uh, encounter an experience if I'm out in nature, for example, or if I meet somebody who's particularly startling or has a startling effect on me. There's no possible way in which I can paint it. There's no way in which I can set it to music. But I can attempt to somehow re- recapture it and perhaps even to make it new again, poetically. At least attempt. Most of the poems I write, of course, no one ever sees because they're an attempt to explore to be in that moment to be more present in the moment e e cummings is a hard poet to convey in a format like this because of course i imagine you you you, you know as better than i do dear listener that e e cummings had a very interesting way with him with punctuation he wrote everything in lower case and uh, which is, I think it's not the place now to talk about the effect of that. But I do think it works. I do think it works. And it's very hard to imitate, and one tries to imitate it, and you can't get it right somehow. 
That's, that, that's what it means to be in the presence of a great writer. Now, what it, Cummings does in this poem, which is called I Carry Your Heart With Me, I Carry It In. <laughs> it's a lovely poem about... Well, you'll see. You'll see. You'll see. See what you think. I carry your heart with me. I carry it in my heart. I'm never without it. Anywhere I go, you go, my dear. And whatever is done by only me is your doing, my darling. I fear no fate, for you are my fate, my sweet. I want no world, for beautiful you are, my world, my true. And it's you are whatever a moon has always meant, and whatever a sun will always sing is you here, is the deepest secret nobody knows. Here is the root of the root, and the bud of the bud, and the sky of the sky of a tree called life, which grows higher than soul can hope or mind can hide. And this is the wonder that's keeping the stars apart. carry your heart. I carry it in my heart. Wow. You know, if I may be, if I may, dear listener, do you know those moments when you're with somebody you deeply love? in a romantic way and you're whispering to one another in ways that you hope nobody will ever hear it's just meant for the other person and the other person for you Isn't, doesn't that poem capture that um, and if you ever see it you'll see what I hoped you know what I try to bring out and I don't think I you know, can't say I did or I didn't but a lot of that poem is written in brackets and there's the bold words and then the bracketed words, which are the words which are leaving the, leaving the speaker most vulnerable. Oh, how astonishing that poem is, don't you think? And this is the wonder that's keeping the stars apart. Well, now let's go... Uh, Let's go forward in time now. A very, a very famous poem, this, um, and very, um, very uh, under-read. Uh, though extraordinarily powerful. Let's have it. This is the po- This is a very famous um, sonnet uh, by Edna Saint Vincent Millay. Whose, whose name, incidentally, I, I think conjures up, you know, if you're flicking through a poetry anthology, you see the name almost and think, oh, gosh, this is bound to be a little bit standoffish. But see what you think. See what you think. I bet you know it as well. This is also a very famous one. When I too long have looked upon your face, wherein for me a Brightness, unobscured, save by the mists of brightness has its place, and terrible beauty not to be endured. I turn away, reluctant from your light, and stand irresolute, a mind undone. A silly, dazzled thing, deprived of sight from having looked too long upon the sun. Then is my daily life a narrow room, in which, a little while, uncertainly, surrounded by impenetrable gloom, among familiar things grown strange to me, 
making my way, I pause and feel and hark until I become accustomed to the dark. I mean, it's, whether she was writing about her own personal experience or not, who knows, one suspects that was, don't you think there was a, there's a real heart, what's called a kind of a heartfelt nature to that poem, isn't there, of gosh, I've been there and been so close to somebody that it, that it was almost too bright, it was almost too painful. And therein again is another um, facet of this sharp, hard-edged jewel that we call love. And we're drawn so closely to somebody that we almost feel we ourselves have disappeared. Shall we change the mood? <laughs> this is a really, frankly, weird poem. <laughs> but I think for, a you know... I remember teachers saying when I was at school in 1840, uh, used to say, uh, now let's change the mood, boys, shall we? It was a old boys school, God help us. And the teacher would, uh, some ancient teacher who was, you know, started working in the school when it was built in 1610. Um, he would read us some awful Greek thing called Latin, as what he called a change of mood. And all of us were sitting there completely flipping bewildered and wondering what on earth it all was. And this poor teacher was guffawing the grey dust out of his hair with mirth. <laughs> so in that, in that vein, uh, let me share this, this, uh, this Caroline Duffy uh, poem with you. Not a red rose or a satin heart. I give you an onion. It is a moon wrapped in brown paper. It promises light, like the careful undressing of love. Here. It will blind you with tears like a lover. It will make your reflection a wobbling photo of grief. I'm trying to be truthful. Not a cute card or kissagram. I give you an onion. Its fierce kiss will stay on your lips, possessive and faithful as we are, for as long as we are. Take it! Its platinum loops shrink to a wedding ring, if you like. Lethal. Its scent will cling to your fingers. Cling to your knife. <laughs> it's, a, it's a dark one, isn't it? It's a dark one, dear listener. It was very good. She's very clever. She's very, very clever. Um, and I think we're going to finish with this one. Probably going to finish. We have a couple of minutes. So see if I can whisk through a couple of... Maybe I'll get two in. Let's finish with my... With my possibly my favourite poet of... Uh, of this notion of love and it is of course John Donne let's hear two very quick extracts one from the sun rising busy old fool unruly son why dost thou thus through windows and through curtains call on us must to thy motions lovers seasons run saucy pedantic wretch go chide late schoolboys and sour apprentices go tell court huntsmen that the king will ride call country ants to harvest offices love all alike no season knows or climb nor hours, days, months, which are the rags of time. <laughs> I think he's the only poet who's ever written about the sun in that way, you know. Really astonishing. And so to finish with, uh, let us um, have a similar one. Here it is, here it is, the canonization. And he says 
two people around him who were forbidding his love. For God's sake, hold your tongue and let me love. Or chide my palsy, or my gout, my five grey hairs, or ruin fortune flout. With wealth your state, your mind with arts improve. Take you a course, get you a place. Observe his honour or his grace, or the king's real or his stamped face. Contemplate what you will approve. So you will let me love. <laughs> and there, dear listener, we end. So thank you so much for uh, being with me on this uh, pilgrimage, this uh, this journey into the different sides of love as written in poetry. And I think the final thought that I'm left with and having read that poem is the one that I stumbled across and I think the third poem, which is that love is not just expressed when poetry handles it successfully but is actually 